So we're going through a series on offense, um, and I'm excited to be bringing the word of God to you this morning. Um, and so I've been meeting with Pastor Moridi. Um, my role in Mavuno, my name is Angie Kimaru, Angela Kimaru, and my role in Mavuno is discipleship. I'm the discipleship executive pastor, and every year for two months we go through a discipleship series as a community. This year we're going through a series called No Offense, and I am excited about it completely. So today we're going through, um, I think this is the third installment of the series, and we're talking about how to deal with offense, which is a huge stronghold in our culture today. We're basing it on the book by John Bever called Bait of Satan. So, so far we've learned about uh, the dangers of offense that we've found, and some of them is that offense is a trap that the enemy uses to keep many of us from our destiny. Last week, we learned an important perspective from the story of Joseph that can help us overcome offense, you know, whatever offense comes our way. Uh, the story of Joseph is that he was offended, grievously offended by his older brothers who sold him into slavery. Um, he became a prisoner and he lost 13 years of the prime of his life. And then later on, when his brothers came uh, up to him, it was 21, now it was 21 years, he was still able to forgive them and even serve them. Why? Because he knew no human, no demon can get you out of the will of God. Let's say it together. No human, no demon can get you out of the will of God. Amen? Now, it's one thing to encounter offense and betrayal and even hatred from brothers, but it gets even worse when it is a father figure or a spiritual fig figure. Fathers have the capacity to hurt their children in a very deep way, or parents. So whenever you have a parent wound, a father wound, it's so powerful and so destructive in people's lives. Why? Because it demonstrates an important principle when it comes to offense. The level of offense experienced is directly proportional to the proximity and the authority of the offender. Can I repeat? The level of offense experience is directly proportional to the proximity and the authority of the offender. The closer a person is, the more easily they become hurt or offended. And then in addition, if that person has an authority or someone or a voice of authority over your life, then the potential to be offended is magnified even more uh, in our lives. And so that's why there are so many people who are devastated by wounds of their fathers, their mothers, their teachers, their pastors, because they've been wounded by them. The words that they have spoken over them have stuck with them. So I've met many people who have been wounded spiritually. Maybe they've even been crippled because of the things they felt their spiritual parents said over them. Their faith has been affected and even sabotaged because of this. Do you know people like those? Just look, give a side eye to the person next to you. It may be them. So how do you deal with these type of wounds? Fortunately, the Bible has one of my favorite stories about a man who had encountered such a scenario. He had every reason to carry offense. In fact, his, his offense was a father wound, but um, he, he let it go at some point. And I'm talking about King David. So he was known as a man after... He was known as a man after God's own heart. In fact, God says this about him. I love it. As a young boy, he was the last born in a family. He was often forgotten by his father because he was out there herding. And so when Samuel uh, brought them, you know, when the prophet Samuel came, came and said, I'm looking for the new king, they didn't even remember him. They forgot him. 
Uh, and then later on, he was uh, brought and he was anointed as king. By a miracle, God ended up sending, he ended up moving to the, to the court of the, of the king. This is King Saul, where he served on his staff. He even killed a giant. Uh, he became one of the king's generals. And then he even married the king's daughter. So Saul now uh, not only worked with his boss, but also worked with his father-in-law. Are you guys getting the picture? And because this guy was the king of Israel, there was a lot of, so he was the king of Israel, and in those days when you're king, you are appointed by God. And so there was a spiritual leader, so we talk about proximity, and then we also talk about the authority of this man as king, as a spiritual leader. And so the betrayal that David encountered was painful, extremely painful. So his father-in-law became deeply insecure and started hunting David down. He pursued him relentlessly. And each time, David escaped narrowly with his life. Saul suffered from what we suspect is depression, but finally, it also became uh, clear that he had an illness uh, in him, and he was determined to finish David by any means necessary. So this is what I want you to remember. David did not apply to be just a son. True story? God is the one who placed him in that family. David did not apply to be king. Next in line. He didn't apply to sit under Saul. He found himself under his leadership. God is the one who sent Samuel to anoint him as king and put him into that space to serve in that role. But now here is a man who has been let down, most likely by his father who had even forgotten about him. And then this new father figure that has come to him in his line, and this is King Saul. And then Saul takes it to the next level because now he gets his army together. You guys, you need to know, he hunted him down with 3,000 men. What level of anger is that? And his mission was to chase David down and eliminate him. And for the next 14 years, he slept, he and his men slept in caves. They were branded as outlaws. They were cut off from their families because of an insecure father. David had every reason to be bitter and resentful and offended by God. I want to pause for a second and break this down. So this guy is anointed by God. This is David. He moves into the, he's, he's found by the king uh, after killing Goliath. He finds favor. He finds himself in the king's palace. The guy offers the daughter as a, as a wife. He ends up becoming the father-in-law. In David's mind, because he knows he's been anointed to be king, wouldn't you be thinking, Father, thank you for setting me up? God, you even bring a mentor my way. God, you are good and faithful. And then they go and serve together in victory in battle. And then people in the crowds, the women are singing, Saul has killed a thousand and David his 10,000. And then anger rises up within Saul and he starts to despise this child. Look at him and say, I picked you up from nothing. You are a shepherd boy. And now they sing about you these songs, nonsense. Have you ever had a boss like that? Look at you as if you are not the salt and the light of the world. And then this man tries to kill him and eliminate him. You guys, it's so bad that when Saul runs away after, you know, leaving his brother, uh, his, his friend John, the brother who he loves, 
and he runs away to a city. He has nothing. So he's run without anything. He runs to this uh, priestly city known as Nob. He gets there and he tells them. He doesn't tell them the full truth. He says, do you have a sword? He gets, he's given a Goliath sword and he eats something and then he leaves. Saul hears that he went to that town. Do you know what Saul did? He killed all the priests of that town, 85 of them. He killed every man, woman, and child in that town because they gave, they fed him and they gave him a sword. Has someone been your enemy to that level? I mean, this is the truth. And so after that, David can't even go visit his family because he doesn't want people to die. He, he's, he's, uh, now he gets followers who believe in him. And so when you decide to follow David, what it means is you cannot go visit your own family members. Because if they heard that you were there, they may die. What loneliness this man must have experienced. And so they live in the wilderness because his father, this king, is hunting him down. In fact, in 1 Samuel 24, it said that Saul comes to the wilderness in Engedi, and David has now gathered 400 men who believe in him. And so they enter a cave, they are hiding. And then these 3,000 men, they are the elite squad of Israel, they enter that cave to relieve themselves. And while they are there, David sees Saul, uh, and he's disarmed, and so because now they've removed their armor. And it was an amazing time for David to kill him. But the amazing thing that David does is that he doesn't kill him. Now, his actions show us what he was thinking. Because if it was me, let me not lie, I'd not be thinking in that manner. Because this guy says, in, in his heart, it's like he's trying to prove to the king his loyalty, his faithfulness for Saul. He's like, why will this guy chase me down? Why is he hunting me? And so his actions show us because he cuts off uh, the side of the robe of Saul and then he yells out to him later. He comes out, when they all come out of the cave, he yells out to him in 1 Samuel 24. He says, why do you listen to the words of men who say David seeks your heart? It's as if he's trying to say, listen, I'm proving to you that I'm innocent. I'm just this young man who was looking to be mentored, looking to be led, looking to be fathered. I'm not trying to take your throne. He says, look this day, your eyes have seen that the Lord has delivered you today in my hand. Someone, he must have been looking at one of his boys, someone here, maybe Kenyan Jui, was saying I kill you. But then I didn't. And he said, my eyes spared you. I will not stretch out my hand against you for the Lord, for you are the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, it says this in the scripture, my father, see, see, I have the corner of your robe in my hand that I cut off and I did not kill you, that there is neither evil in my heart or rebellion in my hand, for I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. David is desperate for Saul to hear him. I want you to listen to what Saul says as a response. Saul says, is that you, my son, David, my son? He says, is that you, my son, David? And Saul lifts up his voice and he actually weeps because he knows he could have died. That he came that close, cut off my robe, I could have died. And he says, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I rewarded you with evil. And I have shown you this day how you have dealt well with me. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. 
For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you didn't kill me. And then there's a tender side that comes out of Saul. He says, may God establish your throne. Do you even hear? He recognizes that you are the next king of Israel. May the Lord establish your beautiful. And Saul and his 3,000 soldiers live. David thinks it's done. I've finally proven to him that I'm not trying to take his place. I'm not trying to rebel against him. He will restore me back. However, two chapters down the road, we don't know how long that is, in Samuel 26, David is at the house, the hills of Hilkah with his men, and Saul comes marching after him yet again. Can you imagine the devastation in David's heart at this point? You've proven your innocence, and this guy is still hunting for your life. What you feared is true. This man is crazy, he's a madman, he's wicked, and he still is chasing after me. What am I going to do? Do you know such people? They are not in this church. You can look safely around. <laughs> do you know such people who are wicked, who are madmen looking to destroy you? They don't want to see you succeed. And the story that I love, the, the part that I want us to read and focus on the scripture is an amazing story. It's found in Psalm, 1 Samuel 26, verse 1 to 12. I want you to open up your Bibles or, or pull out your app and let's read this scripture together, but it's up on the screen. And I'm going to read from the message version. Now the men of Ziph came back to Saul at Gibeah to tell him that David had returned to the wilderness and was hiding at... Um, Hakila, that's correct, hill. So Saul took his elite corpse of 3,000 troops and went to hunt him down. Saul camped along the road at the edge of the wilderness where David was hiding. And David knew of Saul's arrival and sent out spies to watch his movements. David slipped over to Saul's camp one night and looked to look around. King Saul and uh, General Abner were sleeping inside a ring formed by slumbering soldiers. Any volunteers to go down there with me? David asks Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai, Job's brother, the son of Zeruiah. I'll go with you, Abishai replies. So David and Abishai went to Saul's camp and found him asleep with his spear uh, in the ground beside his head. God has put your enemy within your power this time for sure. Abishai, <coughs> sorry, Kenyan Jui whispered to David. Let me go and put the spear through him. I'll pin him to the earth with it. I'll not need to strike a second time. No, David said, do not kill him, for who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's chosen king? Surely God will strike him down someday, or he will die in battle of old age. But God forbid that I should kill the man he has chosen to be king. But I tell you, will take his spear and his jug of water and then get out of here. So David took the spear and the jug of water and they got away without anyone seeing them or even waking up because the Lord had put them sound asleep. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you move in this room. I pray that you speak and bring healing and do not pass me by in Jesus' name. 
Now, I really don't know what made, it, made David decide to walk into that camp on that day. He knows this guy has been hunting him down. They've been playing this game of cat and mouse. Uh, and maybe he was sick of running and he decided he wants to surrender. I don't know what he was thinking, but he's like, God, I'm going in. And in the end, maybe I'm going to go and end it once and for all. Um, but he didn't exactly know what he was going to do, but he decided to ask these two guys, to, told them, I'm going in, who's going to go with me? And so the first guy is a foreigner, and the guy wisely says nothing. Maybe he's a bit like Mutahi. And then uh, Captain Mutahi doesn't say anything. And then, uh, because maybe he knew this is a suicide mission, why are we entering a camp with 3,000 men? And so they enter the camp, and Abishai, this is David's nephew uh, of his sister, quickly shouts, I'm, <laughs> count me in. Blood is thicker than water. Let's do this together. Because they know it's a suicide mission. But somehow they make it through the elite soldiers, his bodyguards. They enter all the way into the camp. Right before them, deep in sleep, was the cause of all their misery. If not for Saul they would be sleeping in their beds next to their wives. If not for Saul, they would not be cut off from their families or their children. If not for Saul, they'd be able to celebrate other people's weddings, their family gatherings, and see children come. If not for Saul. If not for Saul, they would not be wanted men fearing for their lives in their own country. And then this same Saul is right before them asleep with a spear next to him, tempting them to use it. God, talk about a God-given opportunity. Amen? Me had been church. Hallelujah! My enemies have been delivered into my hands. True story. But at this point, there's an important argument that happens between Abishai and David. Uh, and so, David is, is sitting there, like he's pausing, staring at David, at, at Saul. And, and, and Abishai, you know, you got to love Kenyan Jew. He's this type of guy. He's like, just give me the word. I got you. And he takes the spear. He's like, let me, let me just spear him right in the heart. And this matter is finished here and now. I'll take, take one for the team. I got you. Um, he's like, whenever you're ready, let's do this. I want you to just say the word and I'll do it. But then David is silent, just staring at Saul. Then, of course, Abishai knows what's happening. So he's like, listen, eh? don't even tell me you're not thinking about doing this. Eh? Let me give you a little pep talk. God gave you a chance two chapters ago. Look, you blew it, and we've been stuck still here in the, in the dungeons. <laughs> give me the word. David is still lost in his own world. And so Abishai is like, what are you doing? You don't understand. This is self-defense. In fact, let me take this to court. In the court of law, this would stand. This is an issue of justice. He killed 85 priests. Every woman and child in that town died. You are justified to do this. He was going to kill you? You just kill him. Dude, let's not even think about it. Why do you think even God has put these guys to sleep? Nobody has heard. This is a divine setup from God. Let's be done with this person. In fact, the nation will be free from the tyranny of this madman. And to be honest, me, I'd be with him. I'd be with him. I may not be there. Maybe it's my husband who will be out there. But me, I'll be in the church praying, hallelujah, Father, interceding that they would finish him. David finally looks and then communicates his decision to Abishai. This is what he says in 1 Samuel 26, verse 9. He says, don't destroy him. 
Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? In other words, the, the, ones who are, the one who anointed this man to be king of Israel. Is there a celebration today? Sorry? Oh, they're practicing. Oh, June, when is June 1st? Like a few weeks? Okay, that's fine. Let them, let them practice. In other words, <laughs> we are not the ones who anointed this man to be Israel's leader. It is God. And I'm not the one who is going to lay a hand against him. And then he tells him, let's bounce. What? Imagine the tension in the camp after. Imagine that tension. Imagine him speaking to his boys. And Abishai relaying the story. We had him. We made it to the middle. We were right there. I had the spear right over him. And then David. I think David was just an emotional man. And the boys were like, it's okay, the game. <laughs> it's just, you know, we love him. We love him. There are people that God has appointed into situations of authority in your life. You didn't get to choose your parents, did you? Parents are the people you were born and raised, who raised you up. You didn't have a choice in the matter. You may wish you were part of another family. Maybe one whose father was present, had a great relationship with his children, but they are not your parents. It also is the same with faith. God puts you in a spiritual family. This is our spiritual family. Um, you don't get to choose who your pastor is, by the way. It is God who chooses them. It is God who anoints them. It is God who speaks to them. So you come into this space because it is God's desire for you to grow in that space. This, this spiritual parent is there to nurture and grow you. God did not make the authority figure maybe to treat you the way they have treated you maybe in the past, but we're going to deal a little bit more of that next week. But I want you to understand that God can turn situations around for our good. Amen? And I'm going to get back to that a little bit. But the other question I have in my mind is, why did God put the army to sleep? Why did he put them in a deep sleep? I'll tell you why. It was to test David's heart. This whole story is about the heart of David. God was trying to see, would David be another Saul? Would he take matters into his own hands? Or would he remain a man after God's own heart? A person after God's own heart is one who says, I'm not going to execute judgment. I'm leaving that up to God. He will make the right decision. You see, David knows that the, what the law of God says. And the law of God says in Leviticus 19.18, it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. David himself penned in his own lyrics in Psalm 94 verse 1. He says, the Lord is, is a God who avenges. O God who avenges, shine forth. He says, Lord, contend for me. He understands that it is the Lord's work. He writes it twice. He says, the Lord is a God who avenges, O God who avenges, shine forth. He's, he's adding emphasis. He's saying revenge or payback belongs to the Lord. David knows it, and that's why he walks away. He says, you know what? This, 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 
this is not, my, not for me to do. It is God who will do it. And you know what God says? Okay, he's ready for leadership. The first king who served as king of Israel um, rejected God and he did his own thing. But this king is a man after my heart. Do you want to be a man or woman after God's own heart? How do you do this? How do you become a man or woman after the heart of God? How you do it is you let go of offense of people in authority over you. You let go of the offense that people in authority over you have said or spoken or done because they are not holders of your destiny. Are you hearing me? Only God is. There's someone today basically saying, let go and let God. Let go. How many have been in Mavuno for a long time? Let me just say over 10, 15 years uh, in Mavuno. Over 10 years, 8 years, let's see. How many of you know Pastor Linda? Ochola, Achol, Adolwa, you know her? Pastor Linda discipled me. So Pastor Linda was one of the original pastors in Mavuno. Um, Pastor M and Pastor Linda and Pastor Simon Bevy, God, God spoke to them about planting uh, Mavuno here in South Sea. And I was an intern at that time. I think I was 20-something, right, right out of college. It's been 16 years, just to say. So when I came, actually, were you an elder in the church at the time? Yes, he was an elder at that time. So I was a young girl, uh, excited about doing ministry right out of college, and I joined the internship, and Pastor Linda begins to disciple me. So I was in her house. I saw her date, get married. They got married. I used to live in their house. She got the baby. I was there, the first child, second child. Um, she's been my mom. So I speak like her. I sound like her. I pray like her. I would take notes. True story, right? When she prays, I would write notes, word for word, what she is saying. Um, I went with her to funerals, went with her to meetings. We would drive in the car. She tells me, this is the correct way to do this. This is a way to speak. This is the way to pastor, things like that. Everything about my life is because of her. And so how many years has it been? Four years about, I think. It's been four years, right? Pastor Linda and Pastor Moravi, and I asked for permission to share this story. Pastor Linda and Pastor Moravi, um, what is it called? Separated ways. Parted ways. This is the correct way to say And it was not a pretty thing. It was an ugly thing. The whole church, churches were involved. Were you guys in that story? It was hard. You were in, Pastor Jade is the only one who's saying, yeah. <laughs> She's filming. We were in the mix. So the first day they tell us this story, we are on Mombasa Road. Yeah, we, I don't know where we were. No, we were in Ufungamano. And they tell us that Pastor Linda, it's time for her to leave. And I sat in the meeting, I just cried. And so they asked me, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? I said, it's like my parents getting a divorce. Because they are the ones who discipled me. I was there when um, Mweni, uh, not Mweni, when the twins came home. And so really, this is Pastime's children. So they raised me together. Does that make sense? And I have been silent in the story. I actually did not see Pastor Linda for three years. And I want to tell you why. Because I didn't want to hear bad things about my father. 
And I didn't talk to, even to this day, Pastor and I don't talk. Unless he tells me something, I will not ask him questions. Because I don't want to hear anything bad about my spiritual mother. You guys, these two people genuinely love the Lord. Like I know it. I've seen it. Like I know, I know them. But they parted ways in an ugly way that almost destroyed our church. So members of churches would call me and ask me, hey, Pastor Angie, what do you think? They say, you, I'm telling you, many things came my way. Like, and I was confused. Um, I, I went to see Pastor Linda once and I decided it's too ugly right now. I'm not going to talk about it. So I just pulled back. And then I went to see her last year. I went with Pastor Jade. I told Jade, come, come, come for cover. So she, of course she smacked me. She told me, why haven't you come to see me? I said, I have tough questions. I was feeling emotional. Genuinely, this is my job. So I said, I didn't want to put myself in a place where my job is at risk. But I also said, I never talked about it with Pastor Moravi, and I didn't talk about you. And I've told her, this is the first time we are talking. But I wanted her to bless my children because she's known since I got married that we wanted to adopt. So I told her, come. I want you to come for my baby shower. And she was there. Right? You guys remember? But we met Aki for a long time. <laughs> we talked. We talked about the pain. We talked about the hurt. We talked about me feeling a loss. We talked about her feeling a loss. Um, we talked about our relationship, really. But this thing that happened was so deep that we needed time to heal. But many, many people put themselves in that story like it was their story. <laughs> like it was them. Me, I was like, they are my parents. And imagine my prayer has been from the beginning, God content for both of them. Both of them made mistakes. Both of them love the Lord. What I believe in is a God of reconciliation. And both of them are on that journey, I can confirm. They're on a journey of healing. But my role was not to enter. Is it? Who am I? Who am I? What I believe is God has called Pastor Linda to speak to the church and influence Kenya. What I believe, and she's a mighty woman of God. I have not met a woman leader like her. I, I recognize how privileged I am to know her. And then I know that Pastor M. God has called him to the nations. And he has been called to lead a church for nations. And so I let go. You people, I would cry. Ask Pastor Jade. Ask my husband. I would cry. I'd be like, now what is this drama? Why are people calling me to ask me for I don't know what to say. I'm like, me, I'm like, my parents are divorcing. <laughs> you mean I will go to church and see them? You mean, like, it was so confusing. I, I used to be confused about, so she won't speak to me. She won't speak into my life. She would encourage me. She was, uh, she's literally, you know, last Sunday I talked about how women are midwives and mothers. That's what I said. Difference. She has birthed in me to plant this church. Because remember, I planted with a one-year-old child. And I didn't think I could do it. And she came and told me, you can. She sat with me and my husband. Her husband and my husband sat and said, Nick, this is how you will support her. Pastanji, these are the systems. This is how you will uh, plant the church and how you will handle the baby. This is at what time you will arrive to such details. Because I'm still a mother. This is how you will change the diaper at what appropriate time. You will not apologize for it, and you will still have more babies. 
And because of her, I can stand here with confidence. But I had to let go and choose wisdom and choose God. So I'm telling you, I have prayed. And I still pray. And I asked my boss, I asked Pastor M this Wednesday for permission to share. He just, he looked, I was telling Pastor Jade yesterday, I was still recovering. He, he had, I have never seen him so warm and broken. And I really prayed for reconciliation for them. And this is the posturing we all should have. Reconciliation above all else. So when, when David was looking at Saul, I think he had a moment where he saw why God chose him. He understood that it was God who chose him, but his humanness let him down. His fallenness made him make choices that led him to a place where God chose David instead. And he recognized it's not his place to eliminate him. He is the Lord's appointed. And so he left him. God has put many people in our lives, whether parents, uh, whether pastors, whether our bosses, and many of us have struggled or they have let us down or they have disappointed us. But I want you to remember a couple of things. When it comes to leadership, you've got to remember not all leaders are perfect. Can you name a perfect leader? No way. Jesus is the only perfect leader, right? And even godly leaders make mistakes. Case in point, my spiritual parents. The other thing you've got to remember is that not all leaders are godly. It is a very important point to remember. Their behavior is certainly not from God, but their authority is from God. Their behavior may not be from God, but their authority is from God. This is what it says in 1 Peter 2, 13 to 15. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials as he appointed. He's talking about your boss. He's talking about the leaders. A man after God's heart because he had to authority. And this is what I love about God, even in this story of David. When it was time for David to leave, the Lord helped him escape. Like you have to, you have to hear that. The Lord rescued him every time from the hand of Saul. No, no demon and no human can stand in the way of what God has purposed for you. Is that, are you guys hearing me? I've, uh, the other thing I want you to remember, so I've said uh, the first one is not all leaders are perfect, not all leaders are godly. The third one is I want you to remember to honor. I want you to see what Peter says. He says in that same passage, First uh, Peter 2 verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. Then he says, honor the emperor. The emperor is the one who was persecuting them at that time. Peter himself died because of him. But he still said we will honor him. So when he's writing to the church, he's writing to people who know that guy is going to persecute them. He says, don't smear their name on the streets. Don't talk about them badly. Honor them for the authority they have and they carry. 
the greatest offenses occur when people that are under with people that are under authority. That's us. Some of you are still in a situation of frustration by a boss at work. It may be your leader at church, <clears throat> myself. It could be a parent. It could be, you know, in your marriage, you're, you're just experiencing a situation of frustration. And so I want to share some tips to help us break free from the spirit of offense, to let go, basically, and to say, I want to overcome this thing in my life, but I want to do it in a manner that honors you. So it takes some intentionality and a humble and willing spirit to, the, to surrender the right to stay hurt. It takes intentionality and a humble and willing spirit to surrender the right to stay hurt. It took me time to accept to still be led by Pastor M. So I went to him and I said, I don't want to know the details. But I want you to know I'm still committed to this church and the vision. I said, this week, I am annoyed with you. And I took off. <laughs> I said, and I took time and I let him know I'm upset. And it's okay to be upset. I still get emotional. I don't even know. I, I get emotional about it because I genuinely love those people. And so I declared how I felt. And then at some point I said, I'm ready. I'm all in to work. Then I told him, I will not attend any meeting. I will not go anywhere because I love the both of you. And so I stayed out. Until it was, until now I, I reconciled my, myself and Pastor Linda when I felt she was healthy for us to have that conversation. I have never had it with Pastor M. Even this week he told me, you can ask me any question. I said, no, I don't need to know. I don't need to know. Because I genuinely love you guys. And I am okay. And I never really need to know the ugliness. Especially if it will smear this woman and this man that I greatly love. What I decided that I'm not going to put myself in a place where I can take offense. Where I can let offense take root in my heart. And then it manifests in me being unable to allow Pastor M to lead me. Or be, put me in a place that does not allow me to receive blessings from Pastor Linda, whom I love dearly. So the first thing I want you to do in steps to breaking free from the spirit of offense when it comes to our leaders is acknowledge the pain. Acknowledge where you were hurt by this person, even if it sounds irrational. Acknowledge the pain. It doesn't need to make sense to your friends. Just acknowledge this is truly how I feel. I feel abandoned. I feel like they're not my real parents. They were never really married. But it, like, to me, it was a divorce. So I remember sitting and saying, this is how I feel. And so they sat back and they were confused for a second. I remember that meeting. The other executive pastors like, this chick is so traumatic. Because um, <laughs> it didn't make sense to many of them. Uh, but it was just a thing for me. And then I did not pretend like it didn't happen. Don't pretend. Because it caused a deep-seated um, bitterness, you know, offense even causes illness. Sometimes when you're bitter, if you ask people in the spiritual world, they will say it manifests in arthritis. And sores, actually. That's how it manifests itself in your body. When you fail to acknowledge, it has a way to come back and bite you. 
The, so acknowledge the pain. The second thing is bring the offense to God. I love God because God is able to process your pain. You can write it in a journal if that helps you because David did this regularly. This is how the Psalms came about. He was unfiltered about his pain and he asked God, what are you doing about it? In Psalm 44 verse 23, he says, awake Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Don't reject us forever. He's like, God, why are you sleeping? Can't you see us? Can't you see what's happening for 14 years? We're in the desert. He even at times asked God to wreak havoc on his enemies. Do you guys know those scriptures? He would say, let death take my enemies by surprise. Jesus, Nigerian pastor. Let them go down alive in the realm of the dead. For evil finds lodging amongst them. Break the jaw of the wicked. Hey, David, I loved him. He says, Lord, kill the guys for what they are doing to me. He's sharing his honest feelings about how he feels about the situation. In Psalm 6, I love it. I think it's 6. It says, how long will I cry myself to sleep at night? And the thing I love is that God is big enough to handle the truth about how you feel. You see, God is big enough to handle whatever it is that you're going through, whatever drama you've been through, whatever anger you have, take it to God. That's why I like the Psalms, because he speaks what I'm feeling. I might break the jaw of the wicked. But I love how every Psalm ends. He says, but you are God. You do you. <laughs> he just submits and says, but you are God. What can I do? Share and ask God for his perspective on the situation. God is ready and willing to hear our cries and help us walk through our pain. So bring your offense to God. Acknowledge your pain. Bring the offense to God. And number three, choose your confidence wisely. This is a very important one. Don't quickly turn to counsel uh, for people who are not serious to pray about the situation with you, to carry through your pain, people who are not able to give you different perspectives, because you will meet Abishai's. Oh, Kenyan Jews, I'm just joking. Let me on the spot. Guys, you will meet people who will cheer you on on the matter. So you need to decide. There are some situations I know that Pastor Jade is not the best for me to ask for counsel. Because together we will go and avenge the wicked. <laughs> there are some situations I cannot go to her. There are some situations I will take to my, to my husband. There are times I can't take it to my husband because he will just take on the husbandly role and be like, how dare they? My wife, my wife. I'm like, finish them. I'm like, it's not wise. <laughs> it's not wisdom. I need to tell. Then he says, why didn't you tell me? I'm like, I needed to just process and pray. So you need wisdom to say, in this story, in this narrative, who must I speak to? So sometimes when I do this practically in my life, God brings people to mind or even puts me in their mind. Like recently, as of last year, there's a pastor who called me. I've not seen him for years. He says, I have an issue that I, I feel God is asking us to talk about. And for real, Aki, when I told him, I was like, I went into too much detail. He was like, shake, shake, just relax. Let's process together. And then he gave me para healthy paradigms to process the information. I even got annoyed. I said, what do you mean you're even telling me how to censor my story? But it was because I was taking it too personally. So he gave me perspective. And it, it really helped me figure out my next steps. Make sense? Choose your confidence wisely. 
Because you can end up defaming the person and doing worse things that intensifies the problem. Remember I told you about how one day I went to complain to Pastor Jade. And is not your co-wife. So with, there's a place we walk. It's really far. So we had walked two laps of me complaining, talking. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then she just stopped and said, that's very, oh, well, I hear you, Pastor Angie, but you know, your husband is not your co-wife. I was so annoyed. True story. I was very annoyed. I told her, I cannot believe this is how you have summarized my pain. And you are correct. I'm even more upset that you are correct, and I will shut up and go home and serve my husband. And I went home and served my husband and, uh, and, and proceeded to be a good mother and wife. <laughs> you need friends like that. True story. Otherwise, we could have continued. With her now Swahili hands. You know? And I'd have gone home and flicked my hair at the poor man. It would not have helped us. Help my marriage. Maybe we would not be here today. And the fourth thing I want you to do is let go and let God. Second Samuel 26, from the story we read, verse 10 to 11, this is what David says. Surely God will strike him down someday. Or, I, or he will die in battle. Or of old age. He had even accepted the Lord may not kill him when I want, but one day, maybe he will, someone will strike him down, he will die in battle or of old age, but God forbid that I, me, me, that I should kill him. He is God's chosen king. I will not have a hand in maligning that person's name. I will not have a, a hand in destroying that, their career because I know God will do it for me. David knew that God was capable of looking after him. And so he didn't choose to hit back or hit that other person. He left room for God to do it. Romans 12 verse 19 says, Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. Imagine God says that to you. It is mine to avenge. I will repay the Lord God, creator of the heavens and the earth, who is limitless in power, says to you because you are his child, whom he loves, who he sent his only son for, tells you, I will avenge you. I will repay. Our God is a God of justice, and we can trust him to deal with a person justly and fairly, fairly, fairly. When we refuse to forgive, we prevent God from intervening in our situation and carrying out his purposes. We try to take his job of punishing sinners. Tell your neighbor, I know you're ambitious, but you're not qualified to take God's job. Yanni, I know you, you look like you have it together, but you are not qualified to take God's job. Let go and let God. There is no vacancy for the position of God. Stop playing God. Be a man or a woman after God's own heart by trusting God to be judge and to do what needs to be done. In David's case, it was God who actually dealt with Saul 
And even when he did it, because Saul ended up dying in battle, I love that David didn't rejoice. Instead, he mourned. He mourned. He cried for what would, could have been. You see, God had completely changed his perspective that instead of having bitterness, he was filled with compassion for the man, for this foolish king. And so he had compassion for this king, and he, he cried, he mourned with people. In fact, the guy who gave him the news that he finished Saul off, he killed him. He told his guards, eliminate him. How dare he come and speak to me with pride about killing the Lord's anointed. And then he mourned, and he even sang a song that he made his soldiers sing for him, to honor him. And then what he did is he went and looked for the closest relative of Saul, and give him a seat of, of honor at his table. Imagine. I don't even know what that looks like in our day. Because you know that person who has tormented your family. You know that boss who has sought after you, tried to make your career come to a halt. You know that teacher who spoke words over you. Imagine looking for their relative to bless them. I'm like, I don't know. Jesus, I don't know. But the decision is to let go and let. I love that our God is a God of process. Our God is a God of process. And so I always tell um, people how even in the last week what I said was, if you notice in the story of Joseph, the healing started a long time ago and came to manifest when he actually met his brothers. I think the times in the caves were process. Uh, for, da for David, because he wrote the Psalms, he wrote the songs, he met him and had opportunities to kill him. They were all tests of what was happening in his heart, because he was having a big um, heart transformation. And so this is what I want to pray for you right now. In letting go and let letting God, it can be the first step. Just keeping quiet about the situation, about not talking badly about the person, may be the first step. And then praying about it, honestly to God, and saying, this is how I feel. I feel like you have abandoned me. How long will I sit in this situation? How long will we dwell here? How long will I cry about this situation? It says in Psalm 6 that I, that I wet my couch, my sofa, I wet it because of my tears. How long? Because our God is able to do it then a day will come when you will, and I speak it over you, a day will come when you will meet that person of your pain and you will be able to bless them. Look at me like, Pastor Angie, you don't know what you're talking about. But true story. In my life, I, have, I feel like God has given me compassion over people. He's given me compassion over people. Like I can, I can meet some people who are considered my enemies, but God has given me compassion for them. But it took time. I literally would copy the Psalms that I like and would write their names. So Psalm 3 was one of my favorite because Psalm 3 says, uh, talks about breaking the jaw of the wicked. I really liked it. I was like, yes, Lord, you will destroy them. But then in the end it says, but you are God. And I leave it there. Amen? May the Lord contend for you. May the Lord contend for you in your workplace. May the Lord contend for you in your marriage. May the Lord contend for you with your parents. May the Lord contend for you in your offices. Amen? There's a story of the Naaman slave girl, and I say it all the time. 
She was a slave girl. She must have been taken from Israel, maybe even raped, taken from her parents. She was an Israelite slave. And she served Naaman, who was not an Israelite. And when Naaman's skin got uh, leprosy, he got leprosy, his skin was falling off, his fingers were falling off. She didn't go to church and say, Father, thank you. My enemy's flesh is falling off. Jesus, God is on the throne. You have heard my cries in the night of deliverance and attacked my enemies and defeated them. That would have been me. Instead, she went and told him, Brother, I see your suffering. I know a man. In fact, let me tell you where you can find him. The very first time I heard that story or saw it from that perspective, I told the Lord, <laughs> I'm not there. <laughs> True story. That's what I said. I told the Lord, see, I have not reached there. I said, but I have seen the journey where you want me to go. Take me there. I cried and I told God, you contend for me. I know what you want in the end. For me to go to the person and say, here is where you will find your healing. Maybe he'll even tell me, take the person. I say, God, why are there no seven steps? <laughs> there are none. Because the Lord wants to work in each and every one of our hearts and do something in each and every one of us that is unexplainable. People will look and say, ah, purity is a Christian. Did you see? I, by her love, by her love. But God has to break our hearts, each and every one of us. We have to have the conversation by ourselves. Amen? I'm going to invite the band to play. I actually don't have a song in my mind today, Robbie. You, you go, with, go with the flow, brother. I believe in you. <laughs> and I wanted to make some declarations, and I want you to close your eyes right now and just reflect on the sermon today and just say, God... What are you speaking to me about? What leader of authority in my life have I held offense against words they said, things they did that have just caused pain in my life? And I want to bring that pain to you, Father, right now. Father, I want to follow the example of David and refuse to let hope die in my heart. This is what I want. Father, I commit to be a man or woman after your heart. Holy Spirit, empower me to be even a spiritual mother and father to those who need me to disciple them, to support them, to encourage them. Today, I refuse to allow the enemy to cause me to seek revenge against those who have wronged me. I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. I will not seek to avenge myself. I will leave justice to you. Thank you, Father, because you are letting go of arrows that have been embedded in our hearts. You are removing them right now. That we are not defined by our pain, but we are defined 
by the blood of Christ, the love of Jesus. Thank you for the rich kindness of your spirit and your presence that is leading us into spaces of repentance. Thank you that you're causing us in this time of self-examination to see those people that we have not forgiven, that we have held offense against. And you are allowing us to let go and let God. We are letting go. We're letting go. We're letting go. We're letting go. We're letting go. Father, I thank you because healing has come to this house. Thank you because your spirit is moving mightily. And I wait with expectation for healing and deliverance. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people say, Amen, Amen, Amen. I want to invite you to stand to your feet so we may close the service together. Father, I thank you for um, healing us. I thank you that your blessing is in this house. I thank you that it's not because of our worthiness, but because you have had compassion on us that we can come into your presence. I thank you because your, your spirit is able to empower us to let go of offense in our lives. I thank you because healing is coming, blessing is coming. I thank you because you're truly freeing our future from pain, from brokenness. We are defined by the love of Christ. I thank you. And so I bless your children with your spirit. I bless them with your joy. I want to bless them that this week they will enjoy the favor of the Lord. I thank you, Father, because even as the expressway is opened, it is for the salvation of families that fathers and mothers can get home on time to play with their children. I thank you because date nights will happen and people will be more in love. I thank you, Father, because your favor will be the distinct marker of our life, that you are restoring what the devil took from us. So, Father, I thank you for restoration. I thank you for joy. I bless your children with the favor of the Lord, with the love of God, with the blessing of the Holy Spirit being made manifest in their day to day. And we wait with expectation. In Jesus' name, I pray on all God's people. Say, amen, amen, amen. Have a blessed week. See you tomorrow for 30 a.m. Blessing, blessing, blessing. Bye-bye.